Welcome everyone to episode 27 of the 25 Live. This is Jim Bernica. You might notice my voice sounds a little bit different this week, maybe even a little bit more sexy. And there's a good reason for that. It's called the flu. But despite my ailment, I knew the show must go on. So I brought in my old pal Rick Owen to uh, talk to me this week. Luckily, I knew he could talk a lot and I wouldn't have to talk quite as much. Uh, you might remember Rick. He was in episode 7. He talked about his Churchill Trust uh, tour of the world, essentially, uh, learning the best decom practices. And since that time, uh, they've obviously had the Australian wildfires, and he's actually participated in those, spent a lot of time out on the field. And I was just curious if some of the stuff he learned during his Churchill Trust you know, decon um, days actually was beneficial to him out in the field. So we're going to tag in Rick here. He's going to talk about being out in the field and then some of the stuff he did to at least limit his exposure and, and also, you know, stay on top of his hygiene, which is obviously hard to do out in the field. So without further ado, here's my old pal, Rick. All right. Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of the 25 Live. You can probably tell I'm sounding very, very whitish. Uh, is that a, I don't even know if that's a word, but, uh, I've got the flu, but I'm still going to go on and try to bring a good episode, uh, to all you faithful listeners out there. And, uh, I've been excited for this episode. I've been kind of waiting the past few weeks for things to calm down a little bit, but this is going to be my first repeat customer, uh, Rick Allen, who you might recognize from episode seven, uh, way back in October. Uh, he talked about his, uh, Churchill Trust Award and, and uh, just kind of going around multiple countries and just learning different firefighter cancer techniques. Well, I've got them back today. We're going to talk about a different thing here. So, um, you know, Rick is a Victoria Australian firefighter and he's been dealing with these wildland fires for really the last few months. So I'm going to let him go and just kind of go in depth with what he's been dealing with and then kind of some of the the cancer prevention things that he's tried to do out there in the field. So welcome to the show, Rick. I, I appreciate you uh, joining me once again. Well, thanks, Jim. It's uh, probably my, the honor is mine for uh, being uh, the first repeat offender. Uh, yes. Yes, you are a glun, <laughs> repeat offender, glutton for punishment. You are, my yeah. friend. Yeah. So yeah, no, it's, it's good, good to talk to you again. It's, it's 7 in the morning your time. You're yes, waking Saturday up. morning. Cup of coffee for me, and um, uh, I'm 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 not a coffee drinker, so that's probably a little bit um, unusual for most of your listeners and, and everyone in the fire service. I'm just the odd one out. I can make it, but we, I don't drink it. I should stay away from the beverages because we even got into this last night about the alcoholic beverages. I'll, yes. I try to get away from that because yeah. you you told me that Foster's in fact is not Australian for beer. No, no, it's a it's a, a media. A media beat up, so you can get you Americans drinking our beer. Um, yeah, not much. It's not really drunk here at no, home. So, uh, and also, it all started with the you know Rick saying I got the coronavirus, which is false. <laughs> it's just flu type A. <laughs> but I did tell him that I would like some Corona, and which he said that's not real beer. And I said it's a nice beer if you're on a beach. <laughs> but yeah, no, if you anyway. put lemon or lime in it, it's no good. Yeah, it's uh, apparently for Rick, it's not a real beer because you got to yeah. put a lime in it. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I digress. Again, thanks. Um, 
why don't you just kind of just jump into it and and let's talk about the these fires because it's it's uh, you know we've we've seen it on the news but I don't think we've really understand the magnitude and I think you could probably paint that picture better than anybody else yeah uh, well thanks Jim it probably started for us in October we were actually I was deployed interstate first um, into New South Wales which is the next northern state um, as a liaison officer for our service because we had uh, 14 strike teams. So 14 strike. So a strike team for us is five tankers and and a crew crew leader's vehicle. So we had about 80 appliances north, and uh, we'll fly in via military at that time up and down on on a three day rotation, and the management teams on five day rotation. So we're actually up north for about I think we had 30 days of uh, work up there because we had seven rotations. And then um, we actually pulled all our gear back because we had lightning strikes, which is a lot of the, a lot of the cause of our fires has been lightning strikes in our high country. So in, we don't have really high mountains, but um, in the alpine areas and the snow resorts and um, the national parks in the eastern part of the state, um, very high density um, fuel loads, like we're talking 30 tonnes metric ton per hectare now i'd have to do some little bit of work to convert it to, to acres and um, imperial tons but it's a big fuel load and that's mainly been bought on by 10 years of drought or approximately 10 years of drought so we've been ready to burn for a little while we've just been lucky um since to that uh, 2009 was our last big fire but uh yeah, we were ready to go and we had lightning strikes and they're in the inaccessible area, hard to get equipment and um, aircraft into. Uh, yeah, and so they just started to run um, and they run and run. But some of the fire behaviour, um, for one part, one part I was deployed to Malakuta, which is right down on our eastern seaboard. It's probably 400 miles from the capital city. Um, we had a small fire, we had a, a fire start and within half an hour it was 600, heck, uh, 600 acres and at the end of the night, eight hours later, it was 100,000 um, acres and it turned on a wind change and grew to about a million acres in two days and it ran through Malakuta, which is only a small town, probably 1,500 occupants, but during, um, during su our summer, it's a tourist town. It's right, good for water sports, and there would have been maybe ten thousand tourists there. So we're lucky we lost. I think we lost a hundred houses there, but we didn't lose any life. Um, and then it continued on to to burn and run further back across the border into another state. So um, in total, I think for the we've almost we've got them now contained. So we've been going since November twenty one. Uh, we've burnt nearly. 5 million hectares and I'm oh, sorry 5 million acres I've got a, I have trouble converting hectares and acres um, but that's probably almost the size of New Jersey I'm told and at, at that time we had three and a half thousand miles of fire edge um, which puts it to LA to New York and a little bit back so the size is just unimaginable it's bigger than what we've probably ever had before we've lost a lot of homes and structures and we've lost a few people unfortunately um, across the nation I think we've had 34 
34 dead in fires, um, some being overrun. Uh, yeah, but this, the speed, magnitude and flame height has been unprecedented. I haven't seen, haven't seen it before. Um, I was in a little town, uh, Orbost, which is down towards Malakut. It's the next sort of town along, a little bit larger, about 10,000 people. Um, and I was there the night the fires run into that. That was almost New Year's Eve. And we were hit on basically on four sides at once at coming up in fingers at us. But we were quite lucky. We saved the gas plant. It's a large gas plant there because the, the gas comes in off, offshore from the oil rigs and a water treatment plant. So um, we were very lucky. We had two and a half strike teams protecting the town. One was pumpers or engines and they can't really get into the bush and they were set for infrastructure and then we had um, some tankers which not run out to greet the fires that run in but um, waited for it to come to us and we didn't have to wait long it um, come across it ran across market gardens and farming areas where we didn't expect it to run but again we didn't lose anything we were quite lucky well, we were lucky some would say good management I'd just say luck um, the next next town across was impacted and um, a few homes and about four people were lost in there. So just the scale. Um, we're a large service, uh, fire service. You know, it's a state-based service. Um, we had we've got about two and a half thousand bush tankers in our service and about 250 engines. Um, but we can't be everywhere, so we rely on the public as well. Uh, but it's thankfully over. Everything's contained. Um, it's now just into the recovery mode and fixing roads. Like we have thousands of kilometres of road to clean and assess all the eucalypts along the side because after fire they can drop limbs and fall on people and um, we call them widow makers because um, that's what's happened when they fall on you. There's no there's no recovery. They crush trucks and roll trucks. So now it's into recovery mode. I suppose that's a small wrap for us. How's how was that? <laughs> yeah, no, uh, that was good. Uh, you kind of painted the picture pretty well, and you know, I, I think for the longest time we just simply called these wildland fires, and they've I've I've heard this definition now a few times. They now call them wooies, the wildland urban interface fires, because it's not just brush, like you said, you're losing houses and and everything else along its path. So you're being exposed to, I mean, the same things that you would in a structure fire or a car fire or, yeah. I mean, everything else. And, I mean, how, and you're not, I imagine you're not wearing an air pack for this stuff. No, look, some, I know some of the fireys did um, in some certain areas. So when it ran into town or into structures, they were into air packs. But um, it brings up a very good topic. Um, there's a huge push in Australia now, and it's mainly coming out of um, New South Wales, which is the next state up because they were into it before us, um, where there's been a social media push and they've raised money. There's actually a petition, 181,000 people signed a petition um, through the Firefighter Cancer Network um, in New South Wales to give them P3 respirators, or I think you call them N100s, um, so a moulded respirator with a... Uh, a canister and they're looking at ABEK um, which because we're only wearing an N95 paper type which is 
which is okay for particulate. It gives us no protection, whereas the, the P3 half-face respirator or even some full-face respirators, which fit on the SCBA face mask, will give a, a bigger protection factor and give us some some gases and some inorganics and things. Won't give us CO, but it gives us a greater level of protection. But there's a, there's a little bit of... Um, not pushback, but some of the fire services slow slow to react. Um, they say the P2 is um, fit for purpose, and it probably can be fit for purpose, but it relies on people having you know, facial hair and, and conducting a fit test, in which we don't, well, generally we don't enforce the facial hair. Um, you know, some people may be two days unshaven because if you're away for three days, you may not get a shave. Um, or we, we, don't, we don't run a fit test program. We offer um, one one style of P2. There's probably three or four good ones on the market with you know, flat fold and pyramid styles and, and molded styles. Whereas there's a flat fold and it's made to fit everybody. So if you've got a, a small head or a melon head, it's just made to, to fit the one person. So that's brought out a, a big issue and we've got a review into that now. Um, we're doing some extra study on that because we've done some studies on CO2 retention in in SCBA face masks, and we think in negative pressure P3 we might have the same same issue. So we're we're trying to do some scientific studies out of this as well because we may end up with some funding because there's a lot of money being raised um, via the public, and they're looking to to help us, which is a great thing. Um, so the respirator issue. Is, is very big. Um, you know, there's greater cost to buy, greater cost to run with cartridges, but what's our health worth? Um, yeah, sure. it's, a, it's a question which I don't think I, no one can answer at the moment. You know, I know if it was a, a if you were back home and it was a typical structure fire, I know you not to know, you're going to be on your BA the entire time, start to finish. But being out there, I know... It's not practical, and it sounds like what you're working with is certainly better than nothing, but there is not, you know, really the perfect thing out there for us right now. No, and not for the masses, and, you know, there, there could be some perfect things, but it probably relies on battery charging, and it's just, I suppose, infrastructure support because, like, we're away. Well, we're sleeping in, we call them base camps, so they're, tent city, um, you know, single tents where you're on a sports field and they bring in support showers and, um, you know, kitchens and, and entertainment areas because you might be on the fire line for 16 hours, could be 16 hours, then you're back for eight hours and having a sleep, but they're close to the fire line, so you may not escape the smoke itself. Um, you know, we try and, like, the one I was in, I slept... It's probably 20 miles away from the fire line, which is probably far enough, but some of them were closer and they may be impacted all the time with a bit of smoke and this, and it does hang around, as we know. So you, know, you may not actually but get out of it for three or four days. Um, you know, you've got that, you know, he's got that funny taste um, and that funny smell um, and you know you've been exposed. So we're in a res respirator 24-7. It's hard work. You can't sleep in them. Um, you know, and it brings us to other things like hygiene on the fire ground. Like we encourage everybody if they get back each night to shower and change their equipment, but some people may not have 
the second set of equipment. There is laundries available, but um, to wash and dry in eight hours is sometimes not achievable. So we've been pushing for a second set of just simple wildfire equipment, which are just a, a proband overall or a two-piece ensemble, um, just so you can get out and change. So you're not working in a carcinogen saturated ensemble um, contacting your skin. Um, I've been doing work with uh, Chad Wenzel with the Aegis um, undergarments with, with the barrier garments. With, I've got some of those in the field with some people um, trying those because this long duration uh, exposures and we've run for two or three months you know, it's a perfect opportunity to test systems, but it's, you know, we're being exposed now people to long duration, continuous, and they're not getting much respite, especially if they're going back three and four times on, on tours. Um, it's Look, it's been a very trying time, and I don't think anyone's got the answers at the moment. Sure, sure. Let me, and I know that, I mean, even on the West Coast for us, I know Dr. Kenny Fenn is in a, the third year of his three-year study uh, about some wildland stuff out in California. And I'm sure we'll get some things that may be beneficial as far as some tips and tactics from there of how to reduce everything. But that obviously wasn't in time for everything you just went through. That's the yeah. unfortunate thing. Yeah, and I suppose that's um, it's just um, luck of the, the draw or, you know, I think we're improving everywhere, but uh, not at the same pace where we're burning things at the moment. Um, thankfully, hopefully it won't be much of a fire season next year because I don't think we've got much left to burn. Um, in other parts of the state there is, but uh, you know, when you're one of the most fire-prone places in the world, like, like California, um, hot winds and dry fuel types, and you've got eucalypt as well, courtesy of the gold rush from 1851 going back from here. But, uh, you know, eucalypts, peat and oil, and they just burn very well. Um, had a little bit of a hot northerly for us, or for you, the Santa Ana winds um, coming out of the, the hot desert. Just a recipe to burn. Um, I'm glad Dr. Fent is working on it, because it's if it's anything like his other work, it'll be amazing. Absolutely. And I know Gavin Horn, now that he's... Um living out there as well is going to be working on stuff. Yeah. Um, I, I was yeah, actually, I'm, I'm another amazing I'm, uh, man. Absolutely. I, I'm working on NFPA 1585 and I'm actually in a subgroup with Gavin and one of our portions of it, 1585 by the way, is contamination control, a, a fancy way of saying basically decon preliminary yep. exposure reduction. Yep. And one of our sections that we're a part of is wildland. Yep. And none of us in that room at that point have really done wildland. You know, I'm, I'm in Ohio, something. I'm in Ohio and I'm, I'm looking at snow right now, you know? So, yeah. uh, we had an idea. We kind of put it out there like the ideal, like ideally this is how it would work. You know, we think, and yeah. I ended up calling one of my, uh, buddies from California, Mike, who, who does wildland here and there. And we just, we put them on speakerphone, we put them on, on the spot and just answer these questions truthfully. And everything we thought of, he was debunking. And we were all, we just basically said, oh shit, we got a long ways to go. Yeah. But I knew that as far as decon goes, 
I mean, you're all about that. I mean, you really, you traveled this globe trying to find the best resources and, and trying to, you know, the best tactics to implement this stuff. So I was just interesting if any of that stuff you saw was helpful in the field in this situation. Um, well, everything I was looking at originally was looking at structure because um, you're just the high particular load we get. But um, when I was doing it, I'm thinking how we could, well, manipulate it so you could use it for wildland. Um, there are certain components. The biggest thing being the biggest thing for I suppose for decon on our on our PPC is it's a for us it's a different it's a different construction it's a simple cotton proband treated um, single layer which if you subjected them to water and and soap they'd be working saturated most of the day I think the idea the best idea is the exchange of gear. It'd probably be easier to run a second set and or a third set if we got it because overalls for us are about $150 Australian. You know, I've got 50,000 volunteers to equip, so I don't want price to be the barrier, but sometimes it is. But um, I think exchange is the better one, coupled with the use of um, personal wipes or something like that to get to get the skin contamination off us. I think if um, when Chad brings out his barrier garments in the FR model, I think that is the biggest step we could have using a single layer out of shell with a barrier garment underneath um, and coupled with wipes, getting the exposed skin. I reckon that could be the, probably the, almost the best solution we could come up with at the moment. Um, if we went to a triple shell or the triple barrier like our bunker or structure gear I think we would have um, too many heat related issues with total heat release in the field because you know, if you're wearing these for 16 hours and going uh, it's a lot of work we already we already have a hydration regime where we drink um, a 600 mil or what's that about 16 hour ounces that's about a pint um, I'm, I'm sorry when you convert the you go, you go back you go back to the beer talking about a yeah, pint yeah if we uh yeah we drink a pint of uh a staminate or gatorade so an electrolyte thing and then we drink two lots of water every hour that's our minimum recommendation when you're on the fire line so you're drinking a lot um which gives you some output as well but um just to maintain the fluids on the fire ground on the hot days if you're in a extra thick bunker gear i think would have some heat stress stress related issues so that's one thing we've got to get over because ours is such a dry dry heat you know they would have been working in 90 to 100 degrees at five percent humidity um doing that day in day out with winds um so i think looking at exchange barrier garments and wipes would be our best first up option before we could come up with a better system so somebody comes up with a better system on all up for it but um yeah you're so out you're, in the field for three days um okay you might not see a shower you might not um get back to your base camp um yeah it's it's a in, as you know when it when it hits the fan it's all hands on deck and you don't get the luxuries of going home yeah sure Mm. Um, going back, I wanted to touch on, you mentioned Chad a, a few times and, yeah. 
and Aegis, and, and I don't want to be a commercial for him, but I think it's an, it is important to share what you're talking about and kind of expand on that. What 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 Chad has been able to do is we all we all know what you know we have the uh, particular blocking hoods. And those have been on the market for you know probably five or six years now. What Chad has done is taken that same material that blocks particulates and he's put it in and just close as far as you know basically like uh you know uh like for us under armor kind of outfit looking thing you know long john so you got your long sleeve shirts you got your long pants i think he has socks he has all that kind of stuff and he's been able to put that material in that so the the idea you know the absorption of of all these chemicals he's basically been able to really limit that with these with these products and you're one of the first really to try them out which is pretty cool yeah, it's it's been it's been good for us. It's not as much as I'd like to get them out, but um, we've been trying. We've got some feedback on them, and generally the feedback is good. The thing I like about them also is if you strip down like you're having a rest, um, they've still got a sun protection factor to them. So um, Australia, the sun is exceptionally hot, and we have a high rate of UV and melanoma, and coupled with exposure, fireys are already up against it so when you strip down you still got if you're wearing a long sleeve we've got an added layer of protection just for normal you know everyday issues of of sun um so i really i hate to say it i don't want to be commercial for him as well but uh, i'm probably a convert and i see that as a very good option for wild land uh, without adding the bulk to our ppc and adding making it a layer so we sort of dress like an onion um well it makes sense i mean you're at that point we're we're pretty much stopping or at the very least reducing the um absorption part and so really you're just at that point then you're working with the inhalation exposures which you know you're also working on that as well so really and i i preach this so many times it's all about just reducing your exposure so at least you have something going on there that you're working it's it's clearly it's a work in progress yeah, and I think it's always going to be a work in progress. So, but I was just thinking for your 1585, if you didn't want an external consultant, your country has supplied a lot, a lot of people here, and they've been on the fire line as well. So it may be worth touching with you if you've got an international liaison unit or um, somebody to get some to get some data out of them or experiences or feedback. You, you know, we've had. 300 Americans, you know, um, on the fire line at, at, at most for the last month or so, and they've been changing every week. So, you know, we can't congratulate your country enough for supporting us, um, but they would also be an untapped resource for your data, um, be able to answer it because of different, different um, topography, different weather systems. Um, it would just give you another... Like you're asking your friends in California, very similar, but it'd be just another source of information to help you get a better system in 1585. Sure, um, sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, you know, we when we, we met a few months ago in Boston, and we didn't have the full team with us, so it's kind of let's see, we meet again in May, and if we don't have somebody that's kind of a expert in that area then we'll definitely have to start looking you know we don't want to just i know we don't want to just start making shit up that's the yeah. last thing we want to do call away as well so if you want to give me a ring i'm happy to talk to um 
lovely people at NFBA have met him May last year as well. So um, I don't know if I can offer much, but if they want things, it's only a Skype call. Um, if you want to ask questions, I'm happy to and provide data and get things up. But uh, if we're addressing it as worldwide and not making things in silos, it's going to be better for everybody. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, you kind of mentioned your shifts. You're, you're working three days. Um, yes. Are, then yep. you're going home or you're going to base camp after um, that? So generally for our deployments, the on the back of the on the back of the rigs, the, they, they work a what we call them a one, three, one, just because most of them are volunteers and they're working other jobs to get some time off is hard. You know, it can be hard. So they do one day of travel cause they you know, might be traveling 300 miles. They either get flown or bust in, um, work three days and then one day travel home. So on those three days of work, they can be working at a base camp, um, or uh, if you're lucky enough, you can score a hotel. Most, most of the incident management teams probably get the hotels or the, the pilots and things like that. I was lucky to get a hotel once. So, but I'm happy to sleep in a base camp because I've slept you know, on the road, under, under rigs, um, on the side of the, side of the road. Um, anyway, you can get some sleep because you know, one night I worked 21 hours, had three hours sleep, come back and work another 21 hours because it was just were being impacted and just had had to be done um yeah you're sure you're tired the next the day after that you're tired but um yeah it's the the shifts are long um we had a team the first team in the malakuta the first three strike teams they were spent sent for two days and they didn't get out for seven because the roads were blocked and in the end the navy came um with landing craft and um, supply ships to resupply the town and take people in and out um because we couldn't fly in because of the the active fire and couldn't get civilian aircraft onto the small airfield um, with smoke as well. And so the Navy come and rescued us, and it was the first time the Navy have actually been involved in the bushfires in that scale. You know, they'll move in. They moved over 6,000 people in and out. Um, yeah, it's, so it's been a huge effort with our Defence Force, which generally will get involved a little bit, but not to the extent they have this year. Um, they've supplied specialists for us. Um, you know, they've supplied some... When they've been doing assessments of the road, they've been using some armoured vehicles as moving people up and around and moving crews um, to give them that added protection. Because um, there's such... You know, the, road out, the road out of Malakuta to the main road's 50 miles, and that's you've got to assess one part of 50 miles for tree damage. Um, but in that area, it was nearly, from memory, about 300 miles of road to assess. And they were doing about six miles a day. Um, so it's a long time to assess all these roads, fall, fall with the trees, clean them up, um, and make it safe for people in and out. So it's been a, an exercise in huge logistics for us, um, and it's been sustained. Um, so I've probably gone around the roster and gone everywhere else. How, how long do you think you're actually gone from home? Um, wow, that's an excellent question. Um, I actually was deployed three times, so there's probably three weeks. Um, and then when I got back, I filled in, started to fall into our state control center roster. Um, which is, you know, 
making sure everything's working in the background at state level. And if we've got two fires, you know, you work in to see who's stuff gear allocated to each fire, and you know, sort of looking a bit for quality or who's got the most risk and priority. Um, I probably spent another two weeks in there, so I reckon I've been away for a month, um, on and off in breaks across the since November. 21 um i was supposed to have some vacation time in the middle of that and i didn't take that because it was just um just impossible you know all hands on deck um i was away for we actually did cause in my normal role in, i'm in special operations we actually went and did this um air rescue concept which was in the eastern part of the state we had nine road rescue vehicles compromised with the road network so we couldn't get around so we made a concept where we would insert a light team with some battery operated cutting gear and spreading gear and a, and a rope team with them as well so a crew of five so if we had a remote accident we would air insert um, that ran for a month and I was in there for a week doing that with them um, which is a new concept for us. It worked well. We saved a couple. We actually had some civilian and um, firefighter injuries on the fire line where we've, we've flown in in the Bell 412 and done some work. So it was a different concept, but uh, it was just one of those things, again, made from just through the necessity of, and the scale of fire that we couldn't get access to. But, yeah, about a month away overall, about a month. Um Thankfully, I've just started vacation yesterday um, and much needed. Uh, is, yeah. is it an actual vacation or is it a staycation? Um, yeah, stay at home, do some work around the house, yeah. maybe mow the lawns and uh, tidy up a bit because it's, it's been neglected for a while. Um, oh, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm sure that honey-do list got uh, pretty large over the time. Yeah, very much so, very much so. Nice. Well, it sounds it sounds like you definitely um, were able to take some of the stuff you learned and adapt it, and and I know you'll continue to to kind of build on this. But you know how to you know by wearing some of that gear, you're able to reduce your exposure. Um, I mean, I, I you know you're doing what you can, so I admire you for that. And Thank I, you. And I but I don't envy you for having to do that. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, it's you, probably. You I, know, I would rather we plan to check adjust. <laughs> I'd rather deal with my snow and ice any day than yeah. deal with that. That's well, <laughs> as I might have said before. I've never seen snow and ice, so one day I'll get to have a look at it. You should use your vacation and come over here right now. Well, flights are exceptionally cheap at the moment. I think you can get to LA for like five hundred <laughs> Australian, which is about five hundred US. Uh, it's as cheap. I just wish the kids weren't in school. I'd say, yeah, let's go because beautiful time to come now. Because spring's just starting, isn't it? Spring. It yeah. doesn't look like spring outside, Rick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it'd be it'd be a, a but a change but from heat and fire. Give it come come Monday. It'll it'll probably be I'll be walking around in shorts. Yeah. It's yeah. it's crazy here where I'm yeah. at. Well, cool. Well, let me let me get out of get you out of here with with some of my random twenty five questions. Now you know how this works because you've already done it. Yeah, yeah, as a repeat offender. Yep, I have prior yes. knowledge. Yes. So go ahead and pick a number for me. So last time I went with my favourite numbers, I'm going to go with my unfavourite numbers. So I'll go with 13 first up. 
not superstitious at all. All right. Favorite movie? Favorite movie? Oh, so many good ones. Um, it's going to be a little weird one. I like Apocalypse Now. Um, it's an old one, the soundtrack. Um, very deep and meaningful. And then uh, I like the military one. And I probably lately have been watching We Were Soldiers. Um, just the based on true story and and just the learnings and leadership lessons in it. Um, yeah, very different. Yeah. Yeah. Probably can I share a story with you about that? Sorry? Can I share a story with you about that? Yeah, yeah, of course. All right. All right. So for my wedding, um, I ended up surprising my wife and we, I, I rented a helicopter to fly us from like a nearby airport to our union hall where we were um, doing our reception. Yep. And I had the, the DJ knew what was happening. We had everybody go outside and they played the flight of the Valkyries when we landed. <laughs> What's well, a beautiful piece of music. That was, it was cool as could be, at least for me, my wife yeah. still yeah. pissed off at me <laughs> so, because so I didn't tell her talk about it. I don't, well, I don't think she listened. She hasn't listened to me enough already. So, <laughs> but it was it was cool for me. Yeah, very, very good. He didn't have it coming out of the helicopter. The DJ had it on the ground, did he? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. She would be. She. I don't think she'd been very happy if he had it in the helicopter. No. No. <laughs> I think she just wanted it on the ground. Yeah. Pick right. um, another number for me. Another number. Uh, I'm gonna go one. Talk what was your that. first job? Oh, first job. Well, um, young young person, um, fourth year of high school, or we go to six years of high school, so I don't know what it is in the States, the fourth year of high school. I work at a place called Macca's. You might know it as Mickey D's. Uh, yeah, <laughs> McDonald's, first job, kitchen hand. Um, it probably fitted my OCD tendencies because everything's done in, you know, structured and timely and and it worked well for the fire service it's made me the um a punctual person uh but yeah really enjoyed it as a kid um pretty good money for my age and um taught some really good work ethics and discipline so mcdonald's yeah nice nice was your was your ice cream machine always broken too uh, no, no, it actually, well, we, at that time you could only get the thick shape because it was 1985, so that's, I'm that's, my age. That's yeah. just a joke I see here all the time. Yeah, yeah, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, although I do see it is a, a broken one, and the scary part is my daughter's old enough and she's thinking about going working there now, so it's gone for full circle. <laughs> yeah. yeah cool. um, yeah, one more, is it? Was it three last time? We had three questions? Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's let's yeah. do one more. As long as it's good. And maybe we right. can do four. It's my own show. I can make up my own rules. Okay. Or well, do you want to pick one for me then? Or, do you, or oh. is that breaking the rules? Oh, no, I've done that before. Yeah. But I want to I want to pick a good one. Yeah, right. All right. I'm you know, I I, I love music. So I want I want to know what your favorite album is. Uh, I think we did this last time. Did uh, I do that last time with you? Yeah, we went. Um, I talked about Midnight Oil, but um, which is ah shit, a, that's right, that's right. Yeah. Or, uh, 
we go again. I still like them, and I like Foo mm. Fighters. But, uh, ah, yeah. the Foo. I'll be seeing yeah. them in Cincinnati. Yeah, well, well, that's one reason I should come to the States because they tour a lot. They don't come here much, and when they do, the price is a deal. But yeah, it'd be good to go on the holiday and see Foo Fighters. It'd be good. It'd be good, especially with the new All stuff right. just being released. Yes, yes, yes. What about um, how do you manage stress? Oh, uh, badly. <laughs> uh, badly. Um, I've got two hobbies, and one of them is woodworking. I've become a, um, a I don't know if you get, you get, there's a power tool brand called Festool, a German brand, very big in the States, um, big here. So I like making things because it's, I'm not a tradesman by any, by any way. Um, so I like making timber things. Um, and the other one is I play golf, but I don't play golf well enough and I don't play it often enough. Um, I've got some beautiful golf courses around me. Like, uh, well, there'd be, I think, um, okay, there's Royal Melbourne where they just played the President's Cup. I can't afford to play there or get on, but um, yeah, play golf. Love golf. Um, but, yeah, too infrequent at the moment. Yeah. yeah. Right. Fair enough. I'll, I'll, pretty badly. <laughs> I'll do one more with you. One more. So, right, eh? uh, let's see. Where was it? Um, I, li- I like this question, and, and I'd be interested in what you come up with. Okay. Uh, what product would you stockpile if you found out they weren't going to sell it anymore? Like this is your last chance to get it. What would you get? All of it that you can. Wow. So, like a, a nice product or food or uh, what? Anything? You can make whatever you want. Yeah, food or uh, um, something around the house. Yeah, gee, that that's a, that's a hard question. Wow. Um, oh, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to say golf balls because if I can't have golf, golf. you know, I could always have old golf clubs. But if they didn't make golf balls, I'd be devastated. <laughs> you know, and if Titleist went out of. Uh, I'd probably sponsor Titleist because uh, the amount of times I we've, lose them. Uh, we've done a lot of commercials today. Yeah, yeah, I'm getting <laughs> I'm getting all the plugs in. Hopefully they're listening. Um, <laughs> yeah, but if Titleist went out of business and I couldn't get golf balls, I think I'd be in trouble. That's a, that's that's an excellent question. Well, you know what you could do. I don't know if they have those over there, but you, you can then play frisbee golf. <laughs> yeah, I've seen frisbee golf. <laughs> I don't know if I could run that far. Um, you don't have to run. You just throw yeah. it, and then you, you walk, and it's the same exact thing, yeah, except for hitting I've, the ball. You you throw the frisbee. Yeah, but I've seen them or, run chasing. Or it. the disc, the disc. That's disc yeah. golf. Yeah. I got I got scolded. And this is this is for real. As a kid, I I remember going to a store, a little mom and pop store, that sold these disc golfs, and asked them, you know, I'd I like to buy that frisbee, you know, golf disc, and and the guy got in my shit and said, it's, it's not Frisbee. Frisbee is trademarked by Whammo. It is a disc. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm a little kid. I'm like there yeah. with my parents. So, and so he didn't I'm handle like, stress very well. You would have found the like, last question. Yeah, I'm like, whatever. <laughs> give, me a, give me a disc then. Yeah, so you didn't ever go back there again? Uh, I probably did. I probably yeah. did. <laughs> That was the local, like, uh, it, it was a uh, uh, cassette tape. It was like a music place, and then it had, and it had the, the golf disc. 
yeah. crispy golf mask, whatever. Yeah. So yeah. So yeah, I did. I we, did go back, friends. but I just eh, that guy was a dick. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you still remember it today? It it was just so out of out of nowhere. Like really, like you're gonna scold a twelve year old? Yeah. Yeah. For saying frisbee. He was, he was having a bad day. Yeah, but I mean, we're talking about the guy who was working at the frisbee golf store so what yeah. <laughs> i mean yeah. uh, i mean like a man like a 40 50 year old man so yeah yeah, yeah. if you're listening out there you're a dick <laughs> sir <laughs> very good Still angry. I, I need to talk to my clinician about you apparently yeah, i'm holding yeah. it i'm been holding it in for years no not at all <laughs> all right my friend i'll get you out of here uh last time when we talked, we actually went over the hour period. We're not going to do that this time. No. You were, in fact, still to this date, my longest episode, but I had a ton of fun with you. And so uh, I'm the, back then I'm, and, and still now. So thank you for the opportunity. So I'm now the longest and the repeat offender. Um, is it you're breaking record. I don't think I'm going to get another thing because the three strikes and you're out, isn't it? No. <laughs> no. Look, yeah, I, I it's my pot. My podcast, it's yeah. my rules. Yeah, it's the the freedom is uh is pretty cool. Yeah, well, I just try yeah. to as as long as I'm giving everybody a episode on Tuesday morning. You know, I think I'm happy, and they seem to be happy. Well, I even even with my it. even with my Barry White sexy voice, <laughs> and even with the flu, so yeah, you've done well. But we really appreciate the opportunity, and it's great to I, talk to you again. Like I that. had to do. I had to do a speech um, in front of like 200 people the other day with this voice. And I started out the joke simply saying, ah, it was a bad idea to do karaoke last night. <laughs> and how did that go down? They didn't think it was very funny. You thought it was more funny than them. It was a tough crowd. Yeah. 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 No, I'll ask you one more question because we have time. <laughs> if you were to karaoke, what song would you karaoke? That's a oh. good one. I should have that on the list. Yeah, that is that is a good question. I'd probably that's go. Number, um, that's number twenty six. Right, I'd go one. It's going to be a weird answer. I'd go Wedding Cake Island. Now, if you're a midnight oil person or you want to Google it, you'd Nobody understand because it's a ah. pure instrumental. Um, it's sort of surf <laughs> music. Um, so because I don't sing, I sing very well in the shower. But if uh, I'd reckon if I had to sing, it'd be Long Road to Ruin, Foo Fighters. So. Oh, that's a good one. Or, or Everlong, one of those. Oh, one Everlong, yeah. Everlong, yes. I like the acoustic version. That's perfect. I played, here's another fact about my wedding, which you weren't there. Um, I snuck in, there's a, there's a, I don't know if you've heard of this band or not, it's uh, the Vitamin String Orchestra. No, no, I haven't heard of them. Okay, so they're, they're, I mean, they're a string instrument and, you know, group that just does covers, so... I mean, they take rock songs and they oh, just nice. make nice little songs, but with their string instruments. And it's, it's, you know, it's, it's very subtle. Like I was playing that in the background of my wedding, like while everybody was eating and there's yeah. only a few people that picked up on it that, holy shit, he's playing Everlong. So <laughs> that was, that was pretty cool. And as far yeah. as my karaoke song goes, I'd probably do hold on by Wilson Phillips. Okay. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to sing it for you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, All right. with that, 
once again, Rick Allen, thank you so much, my friend. I'll talk to you later on. Get you some rest. Too. Enjoy Thanks the vacation. Too. You take care. All right. See you, brother. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks again to my old pal, Rick Owen. I hope everyone enjoyed this episode. I think I only coughed a few times, and I hope the mic didn't pick it up that much. Hopefully next week when you tune in, I'll be back to normal. Not quite as sexy, but I'll feel sexier. So with that being said, everyone, take care. Till next time.